Welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. This is a show dedicated to the pursuit and promotion of upland birds, specifically the rough grouse. So if you like sitting around a campfire with your favorite bird dog and two brothers from Michigan who love talking about upland hunting, this podcast is for you. So let's put another log on the fire and start the show. This is Bird Camp. Episode 7. On today's show, we're going to have Al Stewart, Michigan DNR biologist, the state upland bird expert, followed by Lee Coates from Bosch Shot Shells. We're going to get right into it with the interview that Kevin and I did with Al Stewart. Well, welcome into Bird Camp. This is uh, Kevin and Matt from the Bird Camp podcast. And uh, this morning we have Al, the biologist from uh, DNR. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Al. And uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Al Stewart. I'm the Upland Game Bird Specialist with the Michigan Department of Natural Resources. So, Where are you based out of, Al? I'm based out of Lansing, Michigan. Oh, well, as Michigan fans say, too bad, but not last week. So, yeah, uh, yeah. it was a rough week for us. But, uh, and how long have you been with the DNR? Uh, I started as a student in 1970. So, uh, this represents my 50th year of being involved with the DNR in some fashion or another. Well, I just finished 35 years in my career track, and I thought that was a long time. So <laughs> I think you've got some expertise, and you're also a bird hunter from what you've told me on email, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, a pretty avid uh, hunter, particularly bird hunter. So, you know, I own a side-by-side shotgun and English setters. So uh, oh. pursue grouse and woodcock and yeah. Um, Excellent, excellent. My uh, brother's English setter is laying on the carpet right next to us because we figure if we're having bird camp podcast, you got to have a dog here, right? It just makes sense. So she's actually laying at my feet right now. So I've, I've got three setters at my feet in one lab right there now. There you go. What kind of side-by-side do you shoot? Well, I uh, shoot a fox, and then I shoot an over-and-under uh, Beretta. So, uh, oh, nice guns. Yeah, I, I was... Uh, you guard a Che uh, side-by-side, Spanish-made side-by-side for years and years, but it's gotten old enough now. It's kind of retired. I went to some Browning 16s myself. So uh, yeah. just uh, that, 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 that's truly bird talk for bird hunters, what we're going through. But but yeah. we appreciate it. We have had a tremendous amount of questions, Al, coming from um, our own bird camp and the bird camp podcast about birds. You know, we're always trying to learn more and more. And... Uh, this this year the topic was we had some real surprises in some areas that we hunt that we were more prolific than we thought the bird count seemed really high this year after we got rolling um so a lot of the questions have to do with the life cycle of the rough grouse can you can you kind of walk us through their life cycle uh 
Yeah, sure. Um, what what are you uh, looking for exactly? Well, let's let's you? let's start in the spring. That kind of makes sense to me. And yeah, uh, from yeah. from the breeding to the hatching, and just kind of walk us quickly through that and uh, i'm sure there's a lot i know there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this because they were excited that they're trying to gather information so if you can just start with the spring and we'll go from there yeah well um you know the the main thing is birds coming out of the the winter and the uh the males you know they, they set up a place where they have a drumming log and uh, they hang around that drumming log you know actually the better part of the year but in, in the spring, they, they get up on it and uh, begin to drum, usually, you know, as early as March, sometimes depending on the weather, February, but March into okay. April and May. And so... Uh, and Al, that dr- that drumming is to call the females in for breeding? That's correct. Yeah, well, at least there, it, the, the drumming serves two purposes. One is to um, let females know that uh, there's a male in the area that's... Uh, you know, uh, a potential breeder. And it also lets other males in the area know that uh, there's a male in the area and that's his territory and, you know, stay out of it. But uh, really, and sometimes they have a confrontation to see who, uh, you know, is, is the more aggressive male in the group. And uh, the loser walks off and tries to find another log someplace else. Oh, so. So I did not know that. That, that. Have you ever seen that in person? I have. Mm-hmm. It yeah. must be pretty interesting to watch the two males go around, huh? It, well, yeah. They, you know, they they kind of you know thump each other with their wings and you know pu- push pushing themselves against each other. And, Sound, sounds know. like a college bar scene to me. Yeah, yeah. It probably it's probably a, a, a close. Uh, analysis of what's going on okay and then and then in the spring generally when do the first um um young birds appear well i mean the 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 hens come in and you know they're they're bred in uh you know april may then the the hens uh going off and um nest and you know lay a dozen eggs over about a 15 to 16 day period and uh, then the hen sets on them for about you know 28 days and they hatch so, so it's about a dozen eggs per female roughly yeah oh yeah. very yeah. interesting most gallonaceous birds kind of fall into that and, uh, and i i'm assuming i have an insect insect background i'm assuming that they breed once, and and the female birds hold hold the sperm for later. It's to, to well, is that how that works? Not not as much like turkeys, but yeah, I mean turkeys can the females can hold that sperm for quite a period of time. Grouse, um, they they have a you know a time frame where they can hold it. Normally, uh, you know, a hen will come in. She may she may even be bred by multiple males. Um, you know, she may go visit somebody else um she's uh so so um, so moved and uh then once once she's bred then like i said she goes off and lays about a dozen eggs oh okay so, okay i don't know, and, i don't think so, i don't think we knew how many eggs were laid after so, the, after the eggs hatch what happens from that point well you know the the hens um 
take them off. They're you know mostly eating insects, so they like to have a you know a good area for uh, to find insects. Um, and usually that's in you know some of the the leaf litter around that way. So um, you know that but that you know that brood cover is usually you know where the aspen stem density is oh uh, you know. 12,000 to 6,000 stems per acre. So, uh, you know, pretty heavy duty. Right. And so, the, you know, so uh, she'll be in there. And, you know, again, this hen lays a dozen eggs. So what that allows to occur is in really good nesting years um, and production years, you know, you could have a dozen young. Um, in poor years, you could have, you know, one or two or three. So, um, what designed for a, like a boomer bust type type of situation. Right. So, so in those really good years, you've got a dozen. So, you know, the conditions are right. What would almost within one year, you can kind of bounce the population up a little bit. What, what, what would constitute a good year? Well, the, you know, we, we talk about, gee, it was a bad year and, this year in Michigan, um, th- there were areas that that weren't as great, uh, but a, a bad year during hatch period uh, is a cold, wet spring. So, and that that's true whether they're you know pheasants or grouse. Um, it, a cold, wet spring really impacts ground nesting birds like that. So, okay, uh, this spring we had a little cooler, but we had heavy, heavy rains. And with, with with that, we uh, you know some of the dams washed out, so it was a pretty big deal. And uh, so regionally, um, there were some localized losses. I, I would say where production was not all that great because um, that that heavy rain occurred just at the point of hatching. So a hen that was sitting on a nest, you know, sort of in you know, in a creek bottom or some of the lower areas where they t- tend to nest. Um, in, the, in those areas, if the hen was on the nest and we got all the rain that we got, uh, where those areas flooded, you know, she she lost her nest, right? Oh yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just it was it was in some cases covered with you know eight foot of water. Right, and, that's that's, and, that's and obviously she, unrecoverable at that point. Yeah, and she's at the stage where. If they're about to hatch, the eggs to hatch, they won't re-nest, okay? Right. They'll re-nest if they're part of the way into incubation. But once they are within days of hatching, they, they don't uh, re-nest normally. Or the other thing that occurred was you could have a hen whose nest just hatched. So you have these little fuzzball chicks out there, but you have this, you know, flooding, heavy flooding that occurs. And she couldn't walk them out of those, you know, creek bottoms fast enough. Right. So, so we, we had, I believe, some of that going on. I, I know places where the, the production should have been better, but, um, you know, bird numbers were, I would say, down in those sites. And then there are other areas of the state where, you know, we've had good grouse flush rates. So, you know, it might be where the ground is a little higher or, you know, it's weather. Some places you get rain, some places you don't. In, in, in Michigan this year, that uh, that area um, 
sort of on the field and forest transition zone uh, from you know, uh, Muskegon to Clare to Bay City in that zone is where all that rain occurred, parts of Roscommon County. And I, I think bird numbers were down in those areas for rough grouse. Yeah, and I think most of our listeners would consider that the southern tier of rough grouse. Although we know they, they do spread further, but it looks like the south kind of took a beating with the spring flooding. That's uh, yes. interesting. Yep. So yep. from the time that the birds hatch, um, walk us through that until the fall. I mean, how fast and how quick and when do they start flying? Just kind of give us the life cycle from hatching till fall. Yeah, well, they, you know, they um, they, they go from, you know, little little less than ounce fuzzballs, you know, up, up to full-size birds within a, you know, a month and a half kind of period. So by the time they're about two weeks old, they're able to fly some. So whether you hunt rough grouse or not, uh, you know, there's a um, fairly high mortality in the, in the front end. I mean, their, their life expectancy you know, rough grouse or even turkeys for that matter is 18 months, whether you hunt them or not. And the majority of that mortality occurs, you know, within that first two weeks of life when, um, from predation. And, yeah. From predation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. so then they, you know, they're going along eating bugs, growing fast. And, uh, then, you know, by, by September, you know, they're, you know, if they hatched in May, then they're, um, you know, getting right up there in size. You know, sometimes on September 15th, you know, folks talk about short-tailed birds. A lot of times those are late nesting birds or late hatches, you know, so they haven't completely matured by, you know, the opening of the right season on September 15th. And once they reach towards adulthood or pre-adult, which is getting towards September, what, what food sources are they looking for primarily? Well, they, you know, they start to shift over a little bit into the, um, you know, eat, eating greens. Um, so you'll, you'll have them eating, you know, beginning to eat clover as well as bugs. Um, then usually as you go into the fall, that's when they start eating the fruits. And so as hunters, that's what we look for is, you know, where, where are the fruits? And that's, yeah, our, our camp has, really a, has yeah, our camp has a theory out that they're on the fruits early in season and the berries, and then they migrate. So what would be the next food source if our theory holds any water at all? Yeah. Well, you know, usually on September 15th through the 1st of October, I mean, you'll, you'll see the, the, you know, again, kind of some of the birds eating, um, you know, like grasshoppers and beetles, you know, earthworms, some of those. And I found one with a bunch of aphids in them, uh, too. And then about that time, though, is when they're focused on, on the greens. So strawberry leaves, um, wild strawberry leaves, um, clovers are, you know, pretty, get pretty, pretty attractive. Right, and and then you know it's it's it, during that time frame it's 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 almost a straight you know vegetative diet, so um, they're 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 pretty focused on that, and then and then usually you know about the 
say the first of October, somewhere in there, um, you know, they, they really shift over to, to fruits. Now, in, in, for me, for me, the end of September, I usually find them, you know, in, in like raspberries, you know, the raspberry, uh, little red wild raspberries. Uh, so they, they like that. Um, and then, then they'll again, kind of start to shift over as the gray stem dogwood, uh, fruits begin to mature off. They, they really like gray stem dogwood. Right. Yeah. We um, saw that you know, this year pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in a place that has that, then, then that's good. Unfortunately this year, throughout a lot of the state, um, fruit production was was very poor so uh, we had those heavy frosts early and then again some of the rains that we that occurred happened just at the point of pollination so there there were a lot of fruit bearing shrubs that did not produce very well so um yeah you know, thing, things like hawthorn you know gray stem dogwood um I always look at it, and, and if, if, if I'm there in early October and look around and see that autumn olive, um, which is a non-native invasive plant that isn't really uh, good, but uh, for rough grouse, it's grouse cocaine, and uh, they love autumn olive. And it's uh, usually a very consistent fruiter, which, which, which is what makes it a, a an invasive plant. But... Um, Grouse like it, but when I'm in the woods and I don't find a lot of fruit or no fruit on autumn olive, I know something bad happened because um, it's usually very prolific. So people this year didn't see a lot of fruit on autumn olives. They didn't see um, you know, a lot of gray stem dogwood fruits. They didn't see um, much on the, on the way of hawthorns. And it's not to say that there aren't localized places that there was good production but across the board um i i would say it was not a, a great year for that so in years like that the other thing that grouse do in in october is uh, starting in about october is eat uh, acorns and this year was a good year for acorns so right. in those cases you you want to uh kind of hunt the edge of an aspen stand adjacent to oaks and a lot of times you'll find birds along that. We, we we had that pretty good this year, but we did notice there was a, a scarcity. It was real scarce on the, any type of berry, the olives or the hawthorns. But where you did find patches of them, we did we did get many flushes. They're gathering to the food source is what our guess is. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, no. It, it's, uh, you know, they've... Grouse really focus in on, on fruits, and if you pay attention and focus in on fruits, why you know you're you're good to go. You know, there's, you know, the the like I said, usually service berry and the viburnums. You know, some some of the uh, you know the, the well the dogwoods as well. Yes, I mean, those those kind of hold over on that front end. Right. You know, if you're if you're in a place where you have beach, you know, they they do like beech nuts, but you know, they're not a very consistent uh, Produ you know, pr producer. producer. Right. Yeah, yeah. So and, I, and I usually... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I, I usually look at, uh, you know, the, those those fruits, and I, I pay attention to where they are, and then as the season goes on, you know, get closer to that. 
um, you know, I've I've had them. You know, they're in September where their 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 crop is is uh, almost full of, of clovers, and you know, usually they come out to the side of trail roads that are um, woods roads that have clover seeded down. You know, they'll they'll fill their crops up that last hour or so of the day. And, yeah, that that was actually you know, my next question. Al is the how the roads impact it. Do they come out once or twice a day to fill their crop or what's your impression on that or your experience? Well, well, they're, you know, you most commonly see them in that last hour or so of the day, even a hawthorn clumps, you know, you, they, they, they'll fly into those or walk into those from distances to, you know, if there's a good source of hawthorn, but they usually do that the last hour or so of the day. And, and you know, get into that. Come, come at the same time, they're you know they'll be along those trails at any you know any time of the any time of the day. But I've I've uh, you know killed grouse before that uh, their their crop is so full of clover it's it's almost the size of a tennis ball you know size of your fist. It's really sucked it to them. Yeah, so. we we had one this year that was full of what did we figure out that was Matt. Um, it was some kind of seed. I, I forgive me. I, I don't remember. We in, looked it up. It was in the. Was that a huckleberry? No, that's no, not right. That's not right. But yeah, we had one of those with a engorged crop full of yeah. seed. We we couldn't identify the seed, but oh, uh-huh. and it was interesting. The other one, we started. So I started out as a sharp tail hunter because I grew up in the eastern UP. My brother did too, obviously. And uh, but when we converted over to grouse, the first year or two, we got a grouse that its crop was full of quartered um, acorns, and it just blows your mind the first time you see it. It's like, how can they get that in their crop? It's amazing. <laughs> but, oh right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah so so, yeah. so we kind of cover the road and the gravel. Um, there's some people in our campus some of our listeners think they come out twice a day. I I've always agreed with you. They come out frequently. We spend a lot of our time along the trails and just off and have pretty good luck with that. Um, how, how about now? I know you guys didn't do counts this year, drumming counts because of, uh, COVID, but what is your impression, which is a bad thing to ask a scientist. I, I understand as a quasi scientist in my former career, but, uh, what, what do you think the numbers were up? You think, I know it's regionally different, but do you think the rough grouse numbers were pretty good this year across? I, you know, it, it depends on who you talk to. I think it was pretty spotty actually. Uh, you know, we're, we should be coming up into the peak peak years. Um, probably for, for Michigan, the, the peak uh, should be 2021, I, I would say, but you know, we've, we've just had some unusual weather conditions that are, outside of you know the norm right um but it's uh so you know on a 10-year cycle uh 2021 should should be good so i i think that will will be there and usually that cycle moves from in as it peaks from from west to east so you know 2019 was pretty good for for um, minnesota and the upper great lakes and right uh, you know 2020 is good to fair in wisconsin so you know i, I think we, we okay. should see that yeah uh, ne- next year but what weather, you know whether those are those are really different you know like, again we had a lot of rain at the wrong times and you know we we don't wash out dams every year so you know it's just right. you know how unique 
that is. So, um, but I, you know, if you're a grouse hunter, you know, grouse are where you find them and sometimes they're not there either. And so, you know, I, I think that's kind of how it's gone. And, you know, in, in lean years, um, you just have to walk a little harder, a little, you know, faster and pay attention to where you are, hunt the very best habitat in really great years. Anybody can find grouse almost in any habitat. So Correct. You, know, you see these, these differences and, uh, you know, you, in, in, a, in a good year, you can find grouse, you know, just walking from point A to point B and you don't even, you know, need a dog. And right. In years, you need a good dog that finds grouse and holds them. And then uh, you, you, uh, if you want to put birds in your game bag, you, you have to make sure that, uh, you know, you can shoot reasonably well. Yeah, that's always been my flaw. I, I, I kind of, the worst shot of our group for sure. <laughs> but, um, the gym areas, are you finding those productive? Have you had much chance to, I, we, we've, you know, we've been doing this for so long. We've watched the gym areas come from non-existent to there's so many of them right now. Uh, I think the DNR has done a wonderful job developing those areas. So, uh, are, are, are we expanding the gym areas and does the product, do you have any information on the production of the current gym areas? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the grouse enhanced management sites are, uh, you know, a good, good place to, to look for grouse. It's a good starting point as well. Um, you know, we, we picked them originally because they were really good grouse habitat. And, you know, I've had a lot of people say, gee, Al, you, you guys picked my my secret spot. And now, you know, you told everybody about it. Yeah, and, you, you, and, you actually nailed one of ours, uh, the one down there, Everett. We've been hunting that for 25 years probably we popped in there three four years ago it's like oh it's a gym area <laughs> yeah know. yeah so so you know the the reality of it is it, it it may have been your personal secret spot but the reality of it is uh, it wasn't anybody else's secret spot i mean it's you know it's good habitat attracts Hunters. Yeah, 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 and, and we we call it our secret spot. But even our most secret spots, you see shells on the ground and footprints and dog prints. Uh, we all know yeah. it's not our spot. It's just a good yeah, spot. right. So, so the, you know, the, there are places like that, and so the the gems, you know, is designed to really help people understand what good grouse habitat is and partner people up with local businesses. You know, to let the local businesses know that. You know, hunters bring money to the local economy, and uh, then then also to allow people to, you know, get out and be able to hunt. Um, you know, if if you're if you're a prairie grouse hunter, um, you know, from from the Dakotas, you, you may not uh, know what rough grouse habitat looks like. So that's a, you know, that's a you, fair you can point. come here and you can go to a gems. And you can see good grouse habitat, That's and then you partner that up with our with our my hunt with our mapping program. Um, you know that you can get uh, that's online that shows all the different habitats that we have on state forests and some of the federal forests, and then uh, all the public lands and the cover types, and then we color code it so. If you look at that and you see yellow, you know that's aspen, and then it tells you, you know, the size and density of the aspen. So, from the comfort of your own home, 
24-7. You can locate your own secret hotspots and then use the program to GPS coordinate the spot that you want to go to, you know, five miles from the nearest road. Nice. So, nice. you know, those are, you know, that's what's available. So if you partner that up with gems, then with the gems, you can go in, you can actually physically see what good habitat looks like. Um, and then now you have an eye for it. Now you can look on my hunt and say, or drive around or however you want to do it and find similar habitat. And now you can expand your, your, uh, hunting, uh, base and be able to, you know, get into it. The other thing that gem does is, you know, it has sort of the, 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 the trails that, that run through it. Um, that, you, you know, it's foot traffic only. And so you don't have to worry about your dog getting hit, hit by an ORV if it crosses the trail. And the other part is it, if you've never hunted grouse before at all or hunted at all, you can go to a gems. And a lot of people are afraid of being lost in the woods. So with this, you can walk along the trail or walk off to the side of the trail in the aspen and walk through there and find grouse and woodcock and um, feel comfortable. So you, you can do that, and that, that's great. So that's that's that starting point. And in the process, again, you're seeing what good habitat looks like. And, you know, now you can look for other places. The other part of it is that if you have a young family, you know, you, you may want to go out, um, but – you know, you're, you're not taking the kids through the thick grouse woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, even, um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like to walk through the thick grouse woods. So if you do that, someone can walk in the trail. You and your dog can stay off to the side. You know, the kids can kind of play in and out of along the trail. You can still hunt and, you know, get to enjoy that. And then the, the last part that I, I think is, you know, some of the most important of this is that, um, hunting is really a quality of life issue for many people. And as people begin to age, um, you know, getting into the woods isn't as easy as it once was. So, uh, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, have a hip replacement or knee replacement or you're just, you know, it's a little harder to walk through that thick Aspen stand like you used to, but you still, your quality of life is based on hunting and hunting grouse and woodcock and running the dog. You, you have the ability to walk the trail, run your dog into the woods. If the dog goes on point, you can work your way to the dog on point, and, and you, you, you get to do that. And you can walk along the trail till you know, you, you know, feel like you're ready to turn around and come back. Yeah, I, so you can, hey, Al, you can do that. you got my brother making fun of me because I, I'm older. Yeah, would you agree with that, Kevin? I would agree with that 100%. But <laughs> I phrase it differently in our bird camp and on the air. I phrase it as it's a gentleman's sport. That means you walk the trails. And, yeah, right. And, uh, and uh, it's it's really an age thing, as you and I both know. <laughs> it might like, have something to do with your artificial ankle, um, knee, ankle hip. knee, yeah. <laughs> but but I, I tell you, I, I'm going to do this sport until they drag me out. They're going to have to drag me down the trail. That's what I'm telling you because I just love it. Let me ask you this: uh, great, great information on the gym areas, and I like your point out about newer hunters or new uh, younger hunters to the sport. I think it's a great starting point for them because the tr- you know it's it's a safer environment than what we have done sometimes. 
instead of going six miles deep. So I, I like that. What about diseases with grouse? Uh, you know, we had some avian bird flu, and some of the other states have had some grouse loss and certain diseases. Uh, what are the prevalent diseases that the birds are facing right now, and where what's the threat here in Michigan? Oh, you know, they they've always been faced with some sort of issue from time to time, and they're you know they're just uh, you know reasonably resilient. You know, we we've had West Nile virus that has come in. You know that that came in in the uh, in about the 2000s uh, into this country, and so uh, you know there's some thought that it uh, may have impacted grouse. Uh, when it first came into the country, it did impact uh, the COVID family, the COVID COVID family. Mm-hmm. Um, so crows and blue jays. So if you think back about then, there was. A lot of they were really susceptible to it, and oh, yeah, crows it, and blue jays yeah, kind of dropped off. It, off hit, the, it hit the blue jays hard yeah, in West Michigan. And, yeah, and and then, uh, but now, you know, there are lots of blue jays, there are lots of crows. So and and for rough grouse in Michigan, we had, I think, two thousand and two, we had one report of a positive, and then we had no other reports until about 2017 and then, then we had um, you know a few a few a few reports then and uh, you know so we and and Wisconsin and Minnesota you know we as upper great lakes we were kind of looking at trying to monitor it we've you know had a study going on we're we're still, and, still as a hunter out be it West Nile or avian bird or even something in the coronavirus family which do affect birds sometimes when you look at all this what should a hunter be looking for if they're suspicious what would be the signs would it be emaciation would it be behavioral um so we we bag a bird but what are the signs that we should report it to the dnr as a as a suspected diseased bird well you know the type of thing where it's not acting normal at all. You know, it's on the ground and you can just pick it up and it doesn't care whether you pick it up or not. You know, those, those are things that, you know, you can look at. Um, as, as far as, you know, how thrifty a bird looks, I mean, usually if they're, you know, emaciated, you know, who knows what happened there. You know, they, right. they could have caught a couple of pellets from somebody, you know, on September 15th and, so, so you know, by, by yeah. December first, you know they're they've, they're declining, wasting away, yeah, wasting away. But, so, you pre- know, as far as the the thriftiness of it, when we were examining birds for um, the West Nile virus, uh, there were some couple of birds that came in, and um, before they did the test on them, they there was one bird that was really, um, you know, no meat on the breast kind of thing. And then there was another bird that was really quite plump, and so they took pictures to show the difference between the bird. Oh, that, that that's a good point. Sick, maybe sick and uh, from West Nile and one that wasn't. Well, interesting enough, when the test came back, the plump one had it, West Nile virus, and the sickly one did not. So, looking at a bird and saying, "Well, gee, you know." It uh, doesn't look thrifty. <laughs> right. Uh, so it must have West Nile virus or it's because of West Nile virus. So it may, so, may not be the, 
you know, the, the way to, to go with that. So we would categorize a behavior first or second thing, any physical characterizations that would be abnormal. And at that point, you just hit a great point that I didn't think of is to take a picture of the bird and send it to you or send it to the DNR. Obviously we don't yeah. want to flood you with, with things and, uh, and um, wait and see if they want to see the bird. Is that a correct process just roughly? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if you have, like I said, if, if, if you find a, a, a bird that, you know, is sickly looking, I mean, it just doesn't act normal at all. And you collect it, you can, you know, collect the information, the date, you know, where you found it, all of this, and then get it into any of our, you know, uh, you know our wildlife offices. Um, and then we send it to our wildlife pathology lab, diagnostic lab at Michigan State University. And then our pathologists look at it and, you know, examine birds. So that's that's what happened with the West Nile virus. That's how we found some of these is people were out running their, their dogs and uh, were out in the woods like the first couple weeks of September, you know, just kind of training out there, doing what they, you know, normally do in preparation for the season or even just getting into the season the first week. And, gee, they found uh, like a dead bird fresh kind of laying on the ground or the dog brought back a grouse right or, you know they, they they were just standing there like in a stupor so when so we um, hunters found some of those they turned them into us and then we looked at them and you know some of them tested positive for west nile virus and and so i'm sure in 2017 something happened you know, I, I don't know exactly what it was. It, you know, there, there's uh, um, insects that ca- cause the, you know, some of the midges, that mosquitoes that cause the the West Nile virus to to spread, and conditions, uh, you know, may have been just perfect for for that. It's a later hatching mosquito, and um, you know that may have been what occurred. What what's again interesting to me is those same types of hunters who are training their dogs are out there have been out there since 2002 when we had the first positive one positive grouse with West Nile virus that's been going on ever since then. And it wasn't until 2017 that all of a sudden, you know, here were, you know, a number of birds that were found. So, and, and we haven't had much, no, it, it must it, so, must it must be statistically irrelevant because based on the growing population of grouse in the state today. So, that, that, you know, there's there's just a lot of things you know again that can happen to them. You know, as as far as grouse goes, you know, sometimes you can find them where you know they have the external parasites on them, like um, lice or mites, right? You know, that that could could. Yeah, and I harvested some problems. I harvested one um, 20 years ago, or we did. I don't know who took it. Um, that was full of some type of in, intestinal parasite. It looked like a flatworm, actually. Oh yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. Are those flukes? Is that right? Was... Well, uh, the, 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 some of them are, you know, just just the uh, you know, normal worms. That... Right. Round worms, toxic hair yeah, yeah, family yeah, or something, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Things that they you know yeah. can come up with that. Way. Yeah. Okay. Hey, we're gonna so. cover a couple more quick ones here because we've eaten up a tremendous amount of your time. You've been a very valuable. I know the we're gonna get a ton of feedback because you're 
I don't think you realize it now, but you're giving information that everybody wants. And uh, oh, okay. Um, spruce grouse. Um, we've heard from some of uh, the Facebook pages that you're probably looking at as everybody else is, but we also heard it from some of our listeners that, especially the western to central UP, they're seeing spruce grouse up there. Do you have any information on that? Oh, there's always been spruce grouse up there, so that's nothing. Really? Out of the ordinary. Spruce grouse are, you know, kind of called fool, fool hens a little bit because you can really get close to them. Yeah, I know the, uh, Ojib- yeah. the Ojibwe tribes of northern Michigan that I can't remember the actual term, but they're basically in their language called dumb birds because they can hit them with a stick. And uh, I, I don't recall that term. But um, yeah, yeah. But uh, is the population growing with the spruce grouse? Because Oh, you know, they're they're like rough grouse. I mean, they have, you know, they, they do well, uh, you know, sometimes. And, you know, when, when the conditions are right, they do. They do good, and when they're not, they're, you know, kind of um, maintains a you know a population. So uh, uh, how can a hunter, without the science training you've obviously had, and I've had some, how, how do you differentiate between a spruce and a rough grouse when you're hunting? Well, um, uh, if they fly, they're a rough grouse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that good answer. Yeah, well, that was making it so non-scientific. I actually appreciate that because I do the same thing you do. I launch into science sometimes. So, yeah. What's, what's the DNR bounty on turning somebody in that shot a spruce grass? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah well, there's a pretty good reward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's illegal. It is illegal. Yeah. yeah okay. Last well, well, it's illegal to shoot one. It's not illegal to turn somebody in who did shoot one. <laughs> <laughs> There's even a reward, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, a little humor there. My brother's kind of a funny guy. Um, uh, last topic. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we uh, grew up partially in the eastern UP, right in the middle of a sharp tail country. In fact, I never hunted rough grouse until I was probably 30. Um, didn't have to. We had sharp tail plentiful anywhere. Of course, the DNR closed that season. Um, how's the sharp tail looking? I, I haven't seen a lot the last three years. I haven't spent a lot of time looking for them, but what, what do you know about the sharp tail? And oh, uh, you know, they're, they're doing pretty good. You know, we, we, especially the East end of the UP, we have the season on them, you know, so uh, you know, it's good hunting. And, uh, yeah. Uh, we, we, least up, you know, m- most of the birds are on uh, private land in the East end of the UP. And so uh, we uh, leased up, some of the private land for sharp-tail hunters primarily. Yeah, and actually, we we use some of the HAP areas this year, yeah. and that yeah. was that is awesome for sharp-tail hunting to just go a half mile and change from one to the other. So, um, we really appreciate the HAP programs for sharp-tail hunting. But um, again, we haven't spent but a few hours the last three years every year doing it, and we just haven't seen hardly any sharp-tail. And but that what I'm hearing from where I grew up or we grew up is there's plenty up there. So you think the numbers are good without the counts and the spring drums or the. Yeah. Well, actually uh, um, I have, and a number of other guys, uh, I mean, I've, I've hunted them for 30 years and in the UP and uh, in the East UP, except for the short period when it was closed. And uh, this year probably has the, Highest flush rates, the largest number of birds uh, in 25 years. Oh, okay, good to know. So, yeah, yeah, this was a very, a very good year. 
Yeah, we just hunt the wrong areas, Kevin. We're hunting the wrong areas in that half county in Chippewa County. Or Al's getting there right before us. Or, or I think you're I think you're out there a week before us, Al. So yeah, well, you should have been there yesterday. You know that's how it goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, they're I call they're sharp tails, and and we we you know the season is we intentionally opened the season later than than uh, you know some other places in the country, but later. Uh, the, the birds are, you know, they're, they're older, a little more wary. Um, you know, they, they certainly are Michigan's uh, trophy hippling bird. And uh, so. Interesting you say they, that. You know, they, 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 you, know you, it, you may see them, but you don't always get, you know, 20 yards from them. So no, no, that, that's a rare thing. Boy, you so are. A- Michigan, Michigan is the, we're the furthest east state in the country where you can hunt sharp tails. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, we, we actually, uh, on a small scale are a destination place for people to come and hunt sharp tails. We get a lot of folks coming from, well, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, even Georgia. Yeah. We, we've, we've run just this year. We ran into groups, not sharp tail hunting, just hunting in general from New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Um, it's quite a draw. It's quite a draw for Michigan. And, uh, you know, it's always that fun, evasive conversation in the field. Getting any? Seeing some. <laughs> Where? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. just kind of point at 180 degree. But, yeah. Um, well, that's um, – so Michigan is, you know, number two or three in the, in the country for rough grouse harvest and number one in the world for American woodcock harvest. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know uh, that. We're, 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 we are a destination state. Yeah. Well, Al, we appreciate your expertise and time. You have a world of expertise. We appreciate our listeners well, too. I've covered all my questions. I, I think you referred to it earlier, but, you know, fishermen call the muskie the fish of 10,000 casts. Well, I think grouse are the bird of 10,000 steps. And and uh, we appreciate everything you've given us here. And uh, we call our listeners the Covey. So welcome to the Covey, Al. We will be posting this in the next few days. Uh, anything you'd like to add for our listeners? Well, you know, get out and hunt, have fun, enjoy it. Buy an English setter and, you know, side by side and and uh, have some good times out there. Like you say, it's a gentleman's sport. You don't have to be out till you know, 10 in the morning. That allows you to drink some good bourbon in the evening. So, uh, you know, but on, on the other hand, the cool thing about grouse and woodcock is you don't need a dog. You can walk them up on your own. You don't need a side-by-side shotgun. You can use a single shot. My first grouse was a, with, with a single shot. Yeah, so was mine. Yep. So, mine, yep. so, mine was uh, a single shot 16 that my brother has, I think, in his, yep. his uh, safe right now. It, it, it's You're exactly right. That's a good last point. You know, for Michigan residents, it's a sport of $14 and a single shot gun and a good pair of boots, and you're there. You know, it, it, it's not a sport of $5,000 to get in. And... You know, of course, as we get older and our life situation changes, I think we've all poured a lot of money and time into it because it's such an entrancing place to be in the forest. And uh, But we do appreciate your time, and uh, we uh, hope to have you back again, and we'll leave you alone for a little while. I know you got other work to do. And uh, thanks again, Al. We really appreciate your time. Uh, no problem, and uh, th- thanks for inviting me to be, be part of the company. Yeah, thanks for being uh, thanks for being so flexible with us on the scheduling. So, have a good one, Al. We appreciate it, and uh, that's uh, this segment of pod, of Bird Camp Podcast. We're out.
All right, thanks, Al. That was a great interview. What do you think about that, Kevin? That's a lot of information. It's a lot of information. Uh, Al, obviously, being a scientist, a biologist, it, it really pertained to me, and I know some of our listeners uh, you know, can get pretty technical, but I, I got out of it what our listeners have asked, uh, focusing on the bird, the life cycle, the food source, and why they yeah. do certain things. I think that that is immensely helpful. Hopefully, we can retain that information and use it in the future. Sounds like he has an immense amount of experience hunting. What did he say, 50 years? Yeah. 50 years. Well, yeah. That's as old as you are. Right, right. <laughs> um, I want to apologize. We had a, I think we had a little bad phone connection. It actually sounded pretty good when we recorded it, but I went back and listened, and uh, sounds like maybe uh, one of our carriers was in and out a little bit, but hopefully you guys can hear that okay. So next uh, we moved on, and uh, we got some uh, feedback from uh, – one of our Facebook, uh, well, somebody gave us some feedback on Facebook about uh, Boss Shot Shells. So uh, we did an interview with Lee Coase is his name. Yep. And uh, I don't know, you want to talk any about that and get a little preview or what do you think? Yeah, first of all, they're a Michigan-based company. That's cool. Uh, and uh, uh, in talking with uh, Lee, he, he's, he's a bird hunter and... He grew up in Minnesota. We won't hold that against him. Uh, but we, when we look at the whole thing, it was very interesting. And it came out of Facebook. It also came out of our own bird camp. Right. We had some conversations about that. Yeah. And so it, I thought it was very interesting. It's got me thinking. In fact, you and I talked about it for several minutes after we ended the interview. I think our listeners will find this fascinating. Technology changes. Times change. So I, I thought it was an excellent uh, conversation with Lee. Okay, here we go with that interview. Stand by. Oh, yeah. Hey, welcome to Bird Camp Podcast. Our next segment, we have Lee Chose. Lee Chose is with Boss, and and we are going to uh, talk to him at, for a little while here and talking about what Boss offers. And this was one of the huge topics around our campfires at night at our actual bird camp this year was shot the different types of shot and some of the remarkable things that are happening so welcome in lee how are you today i'm good man thanks for having me on oh no problem and, and you are a bird hunter as you mentioned to us yeah, I'm, a, I'm a major bird hunter. yeah we, yeah. we, we avid yeah. avid would not describe my brother and i no um, no and uh, I'm, uh, go I'm ahead for your, for your listenership or you guys i mean i'm you know so the little idea i'm 60 years old and I grew up in northern Minnesota on hunting and fishing lodge up in a little town called Big Fork, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Right in the heart of like what I would consider that, you know, some of the best rough grouse hunting in the country. And I still hunt them a lot. Do you? And yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. I hunt them all was, the time. Was there any sharp, any sharp tail in that area of Minnesota? North. Oh, yeah. North, northwest there is. There's sharp tail up along that border. Up along that border, up near Far up near Fargo, yep, yeah, and north and north, like up. There's a couple towns that are up around Thief River Falls and west over towards the right on the Canadian line. And that back in the day, it was a lot better sharp tail country than it is now. But they are improving, and like I'm sure you guys have heard, the sharp tail numbers and the Hungarian partridge numbers and wild pheasants are really doing good and south dakota and north dakota doing nice. great doing great on the prairies of canada so yeah that's, that's optimistic a, optimistic sure 
So as I was saying, we, we had a lot of conversation, and I have to confess, uh, we're about the same age, you and I, and uh, we hunt with a pretty wide group of people, some scientists, yep. you know, and various other professional occupations. But the one person that I've hunted a lot with outside of my brother sitting here is, uh, we call him Doc. He's a veterinarian, and uh, he's always bugging me about, what are you shooting today? Well, I'm the old guy, and I reach in, and I have purple shells and green shells and fours yep. and eights, and he just mm-hmm. shakes his head. He was the one that really wanted us to talk to you, actually, that and a few other listeners. So mm-hmm. so what, what advances are being made in the uh, ammunition that we carry as bird hunters? Mm-hmm. Quite uh <clears throat> Well, I mean, do you want me to talk about like shot shells in general across the board, or do you want me to talk boss? Uh, start with shot shells, and please okay. go. Please go into boss because that well, was a big point of our okay. conversation. Okay. Well, shot shells. I I, I I certainly don't want to get into other manufacturers' reasons for no. doing whatever they do. I don't. I don't want to go down that road, but. Um, there is some major advances in shot shells, in my opinion, especially when it comes to non-toxic options. Most non-toxic options are cost prohibitive for average people. And Boss is really concerned about the average people, habitat, conservation, and no tox for sure like we'll do whatever we can to make the very best alternative to lead to help remove get lead out of the environment there's and that's based on the toxicity of lead in the environment yep yep i mean you know you can you'll hear we'll get the odd rebuttal you know once in a while somebody will go oh you shoot lead out into the woods or whatever it doesn't matter it doesn't make any big deal or i mean i I suppose you could argue that but i can also make the argument that one ingested lead pellet is enough to kill a wild bobwhite quail or a wild rough grouse so i look at that and i'm like well come on man we've been doing this long enough we've removed lead from paint from gasoline from all kinds of things but yet as sportsmen and especially us being the original conservationists i'm like man if we don't champion this and we don't do this i mean who's going to so that's a big one of the big like narratives behind boss would be like this unleaded initiative we have where we really would like people not going to hit anybody over the head with it or but it'd be nice to like get the message out there where people know, well, Hey, yeah. I mean that, I don't know when you bring it that, bring it up that way, it does make a lot of sense. So, well, one thing I think about is volume. You know, you think a few pellets of lead, but I think about my hunt this year, I, I racked, racked through a lot of 16 gauge lead because I'm an awful shot, obviously the worst shot of our group, but mm. I, I went through not quite two boxes in a week and that's a lot of when you just stack those up in boxes. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of lead. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, yep. and it's sure it's spread over hundreds of acres, but it's still yeah. a lot of lead. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you? What technology are you using to get away from lead? Lead. Well, the the maker of this, I'm I'm the the dude behind the brand and marketing and narratives and helping 
helping push narratives and story. Um, I also happen to be very environmentally conscious. Mm-hmm. Very, very much so. We're, the whole company is. We're way into habitat and conservation. Um, Brandon is the maker of the shell. Okay. And he has this really cool recipe in the shell. And it's a bismuth alloy that he tumbles meticulously and then he copper plates it. Oh, so the, the bismuth is inside and it's copper plated in, it's each, copper plate. in each pellet, yep. every pellet. Yep. Yep. And they're and they're like you can cut one open. In fact, we encourage customers to do so so that you can see how beautiful the the shell really is, especially when it comes to the copper plating, the consistency of the shot, the the shot cup. You can see the wad that we have compared to everything else on the market is engineered and for a reason. Um, the shell is just built as well as any shell can be made. And I tell people that this shell is made like an old school lead shell used to be made. They behave like lead when it comes to hitting, how they pattern. They love tighter chokes. Um, you can reach like great pattern density. We're a huge fan of smaller shot sizes because it's not steel you know we don't shoot bbs we don't even make bbs we don't even make them because we're huge fans of small shot pattern density putting your shell on paper so you understand the relationship between your barrel your choke and that shell and like being honest with yourself about like what type of shots do you take? Well, you, we're talking about rough grouse and woodcock right here. So we're typically, we're shooting pretty tight, right? Oh, almost always. Yes. Well, almost always. Right. Until you get maybe late in the year like this up in Northern Minnesota, where there's all the leaves are completely gone and you, you occasionally might get a crack at one out at 40, <laughs> but <laughs> You know, be, be, you know, before that, you know, it, I mean, you, oh, yeah, you'll hear them, but you'll never see them. So you got to be honest about how you shoot and pattern and gauge so, and choke and all that, you know. No, we can't cover today all the uh, different variations, but let's go no. to a common one. Yep. We're rough grouse hunting. We're using a 20 over under Beretta. Just, yep. I hope. Classic. That, yeah, classic thing. Yep, uh, which one of our hunt parties doc does. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so what would you recommend? Um, sure. Let's just call it October. So, it, you know, it's the middle mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend in your new shot? Two and three quarter inch sevens. Sevens. Really? Okay. Yep. Or, and next year I can, I mean, I'm speaking for Brandon here. I'm almost sure that we're going to do this, but next year we're going to be working on even smaller, a couple of variations of even some smaller shot sizes. I gave one a test drive earlier this year on an early teal hunt in Missouri, and I was shooting like an eight or an eight and eight and a half. I have a side by side 28 gauge that's 30 inch barrels and it's choked full and full. 
and that's what I shoot. That's it is what I shoot ducks with, and huh. easily sevens 30, 35 yards and in, even on big ducks. If you're going to shoot at things past 35 yards, I would, I'd start looking at like fives and stuff like that. But rough grouse, two and three quarter inch sevens all day long right now. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. And as far as carry and pattern, you kind of touched on that a little bit, Lee. There's really not, yep. not much difference with the traditional lead we've all been shooting. Nope. They, like I say, they act like lead. They're considerably different than other non-toxic loads, but they behave very, very much like lead at least. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, let me quantify this. I'm 60 years old and I did shoot lead and I shot lead for a long time. This is the closest thing for those listeners out there that have never, that have heard about lead and never got to shoot it. This is absolutely as close as you're ever going to get to it. Okay. Okay. So this is Matt. I'm the, Seven, Hi, seven and a half year old younger guy, and I've moved to all yep. steel. Um, yep. I have a small lake, large pond behind my home, so I do a lot of duck yep. hunting, goose hunting back there, uh, as well as mm. fishing. So, I mean, I don't want lead in that water because it migrates into not Correct. only yep. you know nature, but into my well water, and uh, my dogs drink out of that pond. So, yeah, I'm with you on, on that, but I primarily shoot steel. What's the benefit of me switching your shot from steel and i used to shoot lead when i was younger you know like you guys did and i know lead shoots further and straighter and i seem to get a lot of bends with the steel and ricochets in the woods yeah am i going to experience that with your your shot i mean just tell me the differences i guess it's lethal okay the lethality of it the impact of it less no question about it less crippled more recovered birds per shell shot. Oh, that's very important for what well, our topic rough grouse. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know what? You know how hard we work for us. Yep. And when you knock one down and you can't find it, let's say you're one of the people that hunts roughs and you don't have a dog, which there's a lot. Right. There's a lot is. of right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my dog's actually sitting on my lap right now as I talk to you. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mine's laying on the floor right by me. Um, but what I'm saying is, I mean, when you knock a rough grouse down and you can't find it, I mean, it hurts. Oh yeah. That's the worst. I mean, if it doesn't hurt, you should get out of the sport because it's awful. Well, that's the way we feel about everything. Ducks, geese, pheasants. We, we don't, to us, they're no different. We don't make a distinction between a mallard duck or a rough grouse in a, two hundred thousand dollars sheep tag right right we we think we think you we you me us we owe it to them to do the very very best we can to make clean kills or clean misses and i want to be clear with that there's nothing wrong with a clean miss that's why we preach like tight chokes patterning so that you know exactly what your gun is doing and reduce cripples. I mean, really work on, really work on that, you know? Yeah. And I think, yeah. yeah. Let me ask this. You, you've mentioned chokes a few times. What in yep. the example we use with the Beretta over under, um, yeah. we're not plugging Beretta. It's just the very you no. know, classic and common thing. Oh, I have 
yeah. Yeah. What what choke would you recommend for rough grouse hunting? Icy. <laughs> Icy. Improved cylinders. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I oh. would. I mean, that's even, a, I mean, that's like, a, again, you know how it is early in the year when there's, you know, mid-September, mid-September to maybe right before the beginning of October, you know how thick that woods is. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a jun- right? it's a jungle in some right. of our it's spots. It's a jungle. So even if you feel, if you feel comfortable about really opening it up, I mean, you can because you don't need that much pattern density on a rough grouse to kill a rough grouse. Right. They're not, they're not that tough. Right. Yeah. And, so, uh, I've again. Had, I actually saw my brother take a sharp tail down with one BB in the eye. One. Yeah. From 71 yards. That away. was a single oh, shot lucky boy. shot. That was a it long was, time ago. It was his first grouse, too. It was yeah. amazingly. It was like. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, what about yeah. using your shells in like uh, older vintage shotguns? Is that okay? They're good for everything. We're also they're, they're well. They're safe. I'm going to say this with here. They're, they're safe for all guns. Okay. Good. Okay, with the caveat of old vintage, very expensive English side by sides. Oh, that what what maybe. Why? Yeah. Because those guys, those guys worry. They don't, you know, you like, you're thinking, well, no, they're safe for your barrels. And they're like, no, I'm not worried about the barrel. I'm worried about the, like the pistol grip portion of that gun and how thin some of those are made. And then, you know, many of those guns were, they have side locks, right? They're not. Right. They're not box locks. They're side locks. Yeah. They have side lock. It's that wood is very thin back there. And they, what they worry about is that stock splintering oh, in oh. that. So like they're really into low pressure, low recoil type rounds. Even even some, I mean, some of them are like way into these like two and a half inch 12 gauges and right. stuff right. like that. Well, anyway, we are working on that low pressure right now for That's those guys. Interesting. But when you're talking about like your 16 gauge, are you are you talking about like a, a sweet 16 or a model 12 or what do you? I, I just picked up this year and started hunting with a, a new sweet 16, the newer one. Okay, okay, it's no no problem for any of that. No problem for model 12s, some of the older American side by sides, um, old Belgium squarebacks, no problem, stuff like that. So no, no problem, but. Just remember those like guys that are shooting Purdy's and Holland Hollands and McKay Browns and that kind of stuff. I mean that. Yeah, some of those cost more than my house or car. Correct. <laughs> I I just Lee, just a personal side here. I can't. Yes. I, I won't take something in the field that costs that much because <laughs> I'm going to yeah. fall, trip, drop it. You know, something's going to happen. But right. Anyway, yeah. well, that's interesting. Tell us a little bit about Boss. We we kind of skipped over that. Tell us. Uh, Give us the short history of it and uh, where yeah. you're at today. Well, we started, I think we launched the company on October 6th of 18. So we're just barely over, just barely over two years old here. Um, we're the first direct-to-consumer, I would consider us anyway, the first like direct-to-consumer SHOT Show company that there is. We only sell online. Interesting. We get many, many phone calls and requests and 
and we're like, no, we're not, you can't find us in stores. We're not, we're not into that. We're into making, taking the very, very best components that we can buy or make. Everything's, our shells are manufactured here in Bridgman, Michigan. We'd rather do anything to create one job than to lose, than sacrifice anything for foreign profits. We're and only I, in- and it's your distribution model is very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. how, how how can the the listeners find you? Bossshotshells.com. Bossshotshells.com. Yeah, we're looking at your website. Do, do you have? Yeah, we have your website up. We're just doing this yep. for the listeners now, Lee. Um, yeah. And uh, Facebook, social media. Are you out there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, r- like, r- in, r- like in, r- rattle them off, brother. Die, die. Instagram handle is at Boss Shot Shells. Okay. Uh, Facebook would be the same thing, Boss Shot Shells, and then there's a a Boss Shot Shells fan page. Oh, is there? Interesting. And, yeah, and that that's kind of like guys get on there, and you know they they might ask a question. Hey, I'm going rough grouse hunting. What kind of this is what I shoot for a gun. What choke should I use? What kind of boss shell should I? Guys will jump on there and they banter that stuff back and forth. Excellent. Um, my name's Lee, and anybody that reaches out on Instagram or direct messages, that you're you're going to be talking to me. That's me, one hundred percent. Well, I have a uh, something to throw at you here in a minute, but yeah. Well, I'll just throw it out there. Uh, I think yeah. we'll tell her, because this was at our actual bird camp sitting around the fire. We discussed this for half an evening um, with with our six or eight guys. Who, yeah, and everybody has their opinion. Everybody has their opinion, but yeah. you, and um, this probably isn't the most ecologically friendly group in the world, politically at least, but everybody has the same concern of what you're doing because we know we're throwing a lot of lead and you can tell by the shells in the back of the truck every day. It kind Correct. of started the conversation. Well, you guys are. Yeah. I, I, know. <laughs> I just shoot like a blind man. What can I say? But well, I can find the I'm birds. I'm throwing steals. You're going to steal. Um, well, not, not anymore. I'm not anymore. Throwing shells. Well, let me throw this at you. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get this posted up. It'll be posted up tomorrow probably and uh the podcast will be out there but since they're going to be communicating with you we'll just have them mention bird camp podcast and if the guys yep. that'll give you a little marketing data and maybe you are reaching some people for you and yep. and uh mention bird camp we're not asking to give a discount to anybody but just just so uh because i i've been in business for 35 40 years i i just think it'll give you some data that we're reaching some people and not only that it'll help you spread your word because this is this is the time. I think you've got a very interesting concept here, and I know I'm interested. And, of course, there's going to come the one question, Lee, that I know you're prepared for. What's the cost yep. Cost differential versus steel and lead? Okay. So it's definitely – it's definitely – you, you might find my opinion here humorous. First of all, I don't like comparing anything to lead because I don't believe in lead anymore. But that's fair for that for that listenership out there. Here's what I'm going to say about lead. It's incredibly effective and it's really cheap. That's that's what lead has going for it. Unfortunately, it's really toxic. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's no way to make our shell even direct to consumer without middleman markups for what you could make a lead shell for. 
So the shell you would be using to shoot an upland bird with is going to cost you about a dollar twenty, I think a buck twenty-five a squeeze. Okay. Okay. Now, in regards to steel, regardless of how cheap steel is, when the only time steel is cheaper is the day you pick the box off the shelf. From that point on, because of its lack of efficiency, it becomes more expensive all more long the longer you have it because it just it doesn't kill at the same rate a boss a copper plated boss shell would. Interesting. Especially especially in the waterfalling game. Interesting. That, okay. You gave us a target and that, that's a pretty interesting target. Yep. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm kind of the traditional old hunter and electronics. My brother, obviously he's engineering all this cause he mm-hmm. won't, I'm not even allowed to push a button in studio here cause I'll screw yep. it up. I, I am a grouse hunter myself yep. personally. I don't hunt a lot of duck or goose. I mean, occasionally, right. but the price of the shell is, and into talk in business terms, there's no price sensitivity on shells to me. I don't look for the cheapest. I'm looking for a particular shot size. And being right. a, being a 16 gauge guy, it's not easy. But I am not price sensitive, and you know that word. There is no price sensitivity with me with shells because honestly, if I go through a box in a year, that's a lot because I I don't target shoot hardly at all because I'm lazy and don't have the facilities. So I don't with the ecological, which is huge. Yeah, with the pattering, with everything you've explained today, I, I think it's a really good deal, and it's a very interesting thing for our listeners. And uh, I, I know you probably picked up a couple customers just today, Lee. <laughs> well, I want your I want your listenership to know that if they my again my name's Lee, and if they ever want to reach out to me through Instagram, just say hey, I heard you on on your podcast, and right. just. Just ask me any questions you want. I'm always, always there for them. Okay. Uh, we appreciate that, Lee. Uh, any other questions, Matt? No, not that I can think of, but thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Do you got anything else for our listeners or for us? Anytime. Okay. Well, we appreciate that. Um, just uh, we'll probably get back with you. I think we'll maybe do this again next year before the season and try and get Please. some people convinced. And if you and hopefully maybe give us some feedback. If you get three or four, five, ten, fifty, hundred orders from Burt Camp, let us know. We'd appreciate I'll to let, know that. All right. I'd love, I'd love to let you know that. All right. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate Thank the time. You. Happy holidays to you. Okay. Thank you, you guys too. All right. right. Bye bye. All right, that was a good interview with Lee Costa of Boss Shot Shells. So you ready to go buy some Boss Shot Shells, Kevin? I'm very interested. Uh, I I don't see the price comparison being an issue because I don't, you know, trap or skeet shoot. So a box of shells a year is about what I – so that's kind of my point. If it's better for the environment and the animals, that's great. What about – what's your thoughts? Well, for me, I mean, I do this podcast. I do Upland Hunt. Um, but I also – on my land deer hunt and but i duck hunt and you know for you're required to use steel for that and i'd shoot i've shot lead i've shot steel i gave up lead i don't know a while a few years ago and i notice when i shoot steel especially in the woods when we're upland hunting it seems 
I get a lot of inaccuracies, and I just thought it was me getting older with eyesight, but I really think it's the shot. So I've been messing with my chokes. Then I had some old lead. I went back to lead, and I'm more accurate. Yeah, I I definitely want to try it. Uh, We have different reasons to try it, which is why I think it's a great um, thing. I, I really think it's a, it's interesting, uh, and uh, I want to I want to try it if it improves my shooting from horrible to not so good. Yeah, I mean I'd anything you can do to improve your accuracy, especially when you only have a three second or less window when you're well, a grouse hunting. I, I told somebody this fall, you know, you bat three hundred in baseball, three of ten successes, you're a Hall of Famer. For me, grouse shooting, I can't bat a hundred. You know, and now if I go shoot clays and targets, which I do about once a year, I can, you know, 50, 60, which is a terrible number, but it's good for me. When I look at this, anything to give me improvement as I age, my eyes fail and my legs are worse, I'm going to get less shots. I I want the best opportunity. And like a lot of our listeners, I'll pay a little more for that one, you know, because what we're... What I hunt for is as soon as we start moving the birds. That's that's what I'm about. Some people are dogs. Some people are guns. But I want, during that time, those brief minutes, I want the best opportunity to knock a bird down. Right. And I want to knock it down and knock it down. I don't want to see it suffer, you know. Right. And for me, for somebody that I don't really want to be shooting lead anymore for environmental reasons, and I'm shooting steel, this is a obviously way to go. I mean... Yeah. My accuracy is going to go up. I'm going to get a further shot carry. So I should see a high percentage of, of kills, like well, he was saying, versus I, a I, lost bird I had a wound. four to six shots this year that were through heavy limbs. That And I was shooting lead, probably not using the right shot size. But two of those five times, I went, that bird should be down. If I can improve that, and that's what Lee was telling us, I think that's a wonderful thing right. for me. You know, and then as politics change, you know, we don't know what's even happening right now in the world. But in our state, I would not be surprised if they ban lead from shotguns altogether. Well, that that'd be a political thing, obviously. But, but I mean, then but you, you think, would have no choice. You think of living in this wonderful state we kept coming back to. You really think about it with our waterways. They're unique to the whole planet. Yeah. And I'm with you, Matt. I think we need to do everything. That's why I spent so many years collecting garbage in the woods, and people laugh at me. We need to protect it. We need to protect our freshwater and Great Lakes and our streams, and I think that's a really good point that Lee made. Right, right. Um, yeah, I'm going to give him a shot. I'm going to give you can give him a shot. You can give, give boss a shot. A shot? I'm All give right. boss a shot. I, I probably will too. I wonder. I, I'm a little low on my 16, so I think yeah. it's a good opportunity to buy one. I wish I would have asked. Great Lee. Christmas present hint. Nobody hint. buys you Christmas presents. I know. I get none. Um, I, w- I wish I would have asked him if they have like. Uh, I don't want to mention this company, but there's a coffee company that I subscribe to that sends me coffee every month or so Uh-oh, bird dogs mad at somebody you are truly at bird camp right now <laughs> that is that is my brother's bird dog i was just wondering if i, I should have asked I, I need to go look at their website it's probably on there oh uh, you're, you're talking like the beer club things yeah. where yeah, they well, send it's, you it's some... like a, a club where you just sign up and they're like hey send me some 12 gauge or you 20 know, 28 or gauge or whatever buys, every send me some three sandals. months just Sign me up for your, your club. Well, give Lee that feedback. I'm sure he'd enjoy it yeah. because actually that's something. We all have variety of guns in our bird camp, and 
we all want different shots for different reasons. Maybe they could bracket around grouse hunting and say, here's some fives and 12 and here's some 20. Right. Right. Kind of the Maybe I'm unusual. Cause I shoot more than most people, but yeah. Apologize for the bird dog barking in the background. It just kind of makes it more authentic. <laughs> There's a black squirrel out front. Yeah. He doesn't like that's BSM. Or she doesn't that's like my squirrels. friend BSM. I know. Okay. Well, that kind of concludes our, um, episode number seven. And uh, anything else to add, Kevin? No, I thought it was a wonderful episode. We kind of have uh, been working on this one for a while. It took us a while to get both guests lined up. I think uh, soon we're going to be talking to a taxidermist. That's true. And we both came up with the idea today. We'd like to get one of the, um, if any of the uh, listeners know, I, I would love to get one of the grouse artists on if we can find a good living one. Oh, that'd be cool. I would like to talk to a grouse artist, too. That's That's just my thing not the listeners thing just to because uh we've got some pretty cool uh artwork around especially in this house and uh i would just like to i, I think it'd be kind of different and interesting okay so, cool. and um good luck to everybody out there we got about a, what another week and a half until season temporary closes for deer rifle season and then we'll open back up but for anybody that's going out here in the next week or so good luck yeah. to you let, let me give you the november grouse prayer Oh, I hope it doesn't snow too much in December. That's the November grouse hunter <laughs> prayer right there. Uh, three to four inches maximum. That'd be beautiful. I can see the birds better. So that's our prayer for the next month. All right. Stand by and uh, I'll follow up with uh, how to get a hold of us through our various social media as well as email. Yep. Great episode. Thanks, man. All right. See you. Thanks for listening to the Bird Camp Podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of us and give us some feedback, which we would appreciate, please contact us directly at our Facebook page, or you can also contact us via email. Our email can be found at our webpage. Our webpage is birdcamp.net, www.birdcamp.net. Email is found on there. It is also mi.birdcamp at gmail.com. And for finding us on Facebook, just do a search for Bird Space Camp. On our website at birdcamp.net, we're going to start featuring some of our promotional products. We have Hunter Orange Koozies to keep your favorite drink cool. We're also going to start selling some gun cleaning towels, white cotton towels with our logo, the Bird Camp logo. And then we also have the window sticker. If you like the podcast, we encourage you to put one of those in the back of your SUV or truck. We'd like to thank the Covey for listening to our podcast. If anybody out there would like to advertise on our podcast or knows of somebody in the Covey or a friend of a Covey that would like to advertise, please send us a note, send us some feedback, and uh, we're going to start throwing some advertisers on here to get some of our uh, expenses back for putting out this podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. See ya!